Amen. I've enjoyed this sermon series through uh, talking about global missions to the nations. And uh, for me, it's been interesting because I've been sitting where you guys are sitting for a lot of it and just listening to some of our missionaries as they present what it's like to do missions um, around the world. But I want to turn to a passage of scripture from Romans 15 and look at, in a sense, what global missions does to us, what it does to us. Uh, we, have, we have focused a lot on what it does to the world, <laughs> that of course it is calling people to faith in Christ. Lives are being transformed and nations begin to prosper when the gospel spreads. But what does it do to our own local church when we sort of get a fire for missions, when we get excited? It does something, it shapes us here at home as well. Uh, One of the things it does, it unites us together with brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe. Um, It makes us united with what the whole church is doing in terms of reaching the nations. And we are stronger when we are united together. When we sort of learn from one another, we learn from the way Chinese Christians pray. We learn from the passion of our Latin Christian brothers and sisters and the joy of our African brothers and sisters. And of course, we have something to add to the picture for sure as well. I think particularly when it comes to theological depth and when it comes to resources. But when the church is united together, something really good comes from it. So look with me at Romans chapter 5, looking at 22 to 33. You may remember... I don't expect you necessarily to remember three weeks ago, but that was the last time I preached. We did Romans 15 right before where I'm starting today, so I'm actually continuing on. But Romans 15, 22 to 33, Paul writing to the church in Rome, probably the largest church of the first century world, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, never visited, has not yet come and visited the church in Rome, but he addresses them in his longest letter, his longest epistle. And this is what he says. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints." So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. 
And may God add his blessing to the reading and the preaching and the receiving of his word this morning. Here's where we're going, just to give you a sense. Uh, First, verses 22 to 24, we accomplish this mission of seeing the nations reach with the gospel of Christ. We accomplish the mission as a global church. We accomplish it together. 25 to 29, we support one another as a global church. And then finally, 30 to 33, we pray for each other as a global church. So verses 22 to 24, uh, our mission, as Jesus himself gave it to us, to go make disciples of all the nations, uh, is something for the whole church to do. Uh, Paul says here, the reason why I haven't come to you in Rome is because, honestly, I've been too busy. (laughs) I've been doing what God has called me to do, which is reaching a whole new land. Paul is likely writing from Greece. And he's saying, I'm sort of laying foundations here that have never been laid. I'm I'm preaching the gospel, starting local churches in areas where there are no local churches. As he said in the previous section, that that his calling specifically as a missionary is not to build on the foundation of another. To basically go and lay new foundation where the gospel is not yet known. Most Christians, including us, including me, spend our lives building on another's foundation. Nothing wrong with that. 256 years ago, a guy named Hezekiah Smith started a church here in Haverhill. There have been a lot of pastors and a lot of church members ever since then. I'm building on that foundation and happy to do so. Happy to spend my life doing this ministry and this work. But Paul's saying his calling as a missionary was to go and lay foundations where there is no foundation. In other words, he's not saying, when he says my my work is now finally done in those regions, he's not saying that every single person has come to faith in Jesus, certainly. He's not saying that every single person in those areas has heard the gospel yet. He's simply saying there is now a church established there. And there's no longer room for me to continue to do what God is calling me to do, which is to go where the gospel is yet, where Christ is not yet named. And now the church that's established in that region can continue doing the work that they're supposed to do, which is to love their neighbor, tell them the good news, and continue to be faithful. It's time for him to move on to new regions. And as he says here, I've longed to come to Rome. Rome is the New York City of the ancient world. It's probably, as I said, the largest Christian church. We don't know who started the church in Rome. I know that some traditions take it as Peter. Most likely not. Most likely a group of Christians, probably unknown in history, uh, went back to Rome, their home country, started sharing the gospel, started a church, and it grew and grew and grew from there. But he says, I want to come uh, to you and then ultimately go to Spain. So I don't know if anyone here has any Spanish heritage to you, but uh, the word, the, uh, the nation of Spain actually does appear in the Bible right here a couple of times. And he says, I want to get to Spain helped by you Romans, by the Roman church on my way westward. Now, what we do know is that it doesn't quite work out the way Paul says here. Uh, he goes to Jerusalem, gets arrested, almost causes a riot, and does actually get to Rome in chains. Okay, So he goes to Rome in prison, spends at least two years there in prison, and it's unclear whether he actually ends up going from Rome westward to Spain. Now, if you talk to Spanish Christians... They will say, that's blasphemy, Pastor Rick. He definitely made it to Spain. And church tradition is kind of torn. There's not a lot of evidence. But really the best piece of evidence that we have is Clement of Rome, 
who writes in 120 AD, so not too long, AD 120, which is like 30 years after Paul's life, who says specifically, having taught righteousness unto the whole world, Paul reached the farthest bounds of the West. And the farthest bounds of the West, in their minds, of the Roman Empire would be the Iberian Peninsula, which is Spain. So he may or may not have made it to Spain in the end. But notice the way Paul sees missions here. Everybody doing their part. He's not saying, all of you Roman Christians, you should be selling all of your homes and all your stuff, and you should be coming with me to go to Spain. He's not saying you should live with this overwhelming sense of guilt on your shoulders because you're not really living for Jesus. <laughs> That's not what he says. He says, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And I'm asking and encouraging you to pray, to support, and to be mindful of the work that's going on. As he says earlier in the book of Romans, in order for a missionary to be on the mission field, someone needs to send, someone needs to go, someone needs to preach, someone needs, people need to believe. Everybody plays a role in this mission. And that's what I hope you hear from this whole fall uh, missions, uh, global mission sermon series. Not that everyone needs to go, but we should all be praying. That we can be supporting missions, bringing the gospel to new places. We can help equip those who are missionaries. We can house them while they're here on furlough. We can help send them. We can ourselves go short, short term. And maybe most importantly, honestly, we can listen when they're here and get excited and celebrate with them the work that God is doing. It's not, there's no one local church even here. He's got churches in Achaia and Macedonia. That's the Greek area. He talks about a little later the church in Jerusalem. The church in Rome, of course, whom he's writing to. And eventually there'll be churches in Spain. All working together in this global mission of reaching the nations. Friends, here's one of the things I think when we start focusing on this mission, what it does. It unites us together. It transcends the minor theological differences that churches have. You know, you don't have to agree with another church in their view of church governance or infant baptism or predestination in order to say, we need to work together in order to see the gospel reach the ends of the earth. Basically, the the urgency of seeing the gospel go forth to new nations leaves no time for squabbles. (laughs) So it brings us together. Uh, Just so you know, our practice here at First Baptist, we're part of two denominations. We support missions within both. We also also support missionaries from parachurch organizations like the Gideons. We're 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 indiscriminate. We want to be part of what God is doing around the world. We're not just going to exist in our own little tiny corner of the Christian faith. It connects us with churches around the world when we pray and we support the gospel going forward. It also, one of the things we've noticed it's done is it creates new connections with Christians around the world. So there are Christians online, our brothers and sisters in Christ from other countries that maybe some of us have met who now join us for prayer every day at noontime or for Bible studies online and so forth. There are connections, there are conversations that are happening with Christians from uh, other continents around the world. When you go short term, there's a desire to meet and make a connection with others 
other Christians around the world. I know that uh, Craig Alsip, who will be speaking next week, he leads short. He lives in the United States, his family, but he leads short-term missions trips. And one of his goals is that everyone in his team that goes to another country, let's say it's Fiji, makes a personal one-on-one connection with someone who is a Christian or not Christian from that country, and then even stays in contact with them ongoing. Friends, when we are about this mission, it unites us together. 25 to 29, we support one another as a global church. We support one another as a global church. He sort of deals with the financial side of ministry here. He says, uh, at present, uh, he is going, needs to go to Jerusalem. So he can't go right to Rome. He's finished his sort of job of laying the foundation there in the Greek area. But before he goes to Rome, he needs to stop into Jerusalem, where he's from originally. Uh, well, he's, he's Jewish. And he wants to go to Jerusalem because he needs to bring aid. Uh, He's been raising money uh, for the saints in Jerusalem. And he says specifically that the saints, now the term saints, understand, does not refer to an elite group of Christians. Uh, That that sort of definition of saint came much, much later in church history. Uh, Clearly in the New Testament, a saint is anyone who believes in Jesus. You're, you're, You're a holy one, meaning because God has made you holy through Christ. And he says there that the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, they were pleased, eager, cheerful to support their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was not a very wealthy place in the ancient world. They'd also been hammered by famines at that time. There were some very, very wealthy Greeks at that time. And they are pleased to offer help and assistance to the Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul even says, in one sense, you owe it to them <laughs> because the gospel came from Israel. It came, theirs is the patriarchs, theirs is the promises, the covenants, the prophets, the Torah, and so forth, and the Messiah comes from Israel. Uh, they bless the whole world. What, what, what else can you do but help them in their time of great need here? And Paul says, after I deliver the gift, then I will head to Rome. And as we know, he does get to Rome, but he does it in chains And then on my way to Spain, but he says, when I come to you guys in Rome, I think I'm going to come with the blessings of the gospel. He's eager to get there and to fellowship with the Christians in Rome. Now, here's why this matters. Note, Paul is not, he's not asking for money from the Roman Christians. He's going to deliver the gift before he even gets there, right? So he's not, not, this is not a a request for, for financial assistance from Rome, Except, as some commentators bring out, maybe indirectly. What he's saying is, when you, see, all these you know, Greek Christians have been very helpful to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. I want to get to you, but then I want to get to Spain. And I need you to sort of assist my way to go and do ministry in Spain. And, but what it demonstrates here, and this is why Paul brings it out as an illustration, a spirit of love. These Greek Christians love their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. It demonstrates a spirit of self-sacrifice. Instead of enjoying lamb this Friday, we're going to go with all vegetables or whatever. You know, we're, we're going to make a sacrifice so that we can help these Jewish brothers and sisters. You can imagine a Christian dad sitting his Christian kids down and saying, hey guys, we're going to go without a little bit here because there are some very poor people in Jerusalem who need our help. It demonstrates a spirit of unity. We are one. We're united. 
They might be living way over there. We might be living over here. But we are one church and we help one another. That's our brother. That's our sister who's in need. And it demonstrates a spirit of hope. Their hope isn't in this world. It isn't just storing up as much treasure as you possibly can. Their hope is in heaven. Of course, God could supply all that they need some other way. I mean, God could drop gold from heaven, right? (laughs) And in some sense, we've seen him do things like that here. Not literally dropping gold from heaven, but we've seen anonymous donations come just at the time we need it and so forth. But God chooses that the primary way in which his mission is accomplished is by his people being generous to the support of missions and support of the gospel going forward. Because it's one thing to say, I support our missionaries. It's another thing to say, I'm going to make the sacrifices to make sure they can continue to serve. Friends, let's be a generous church. Let's be a generous, generous church. This is kind of an insider conversation, so if you're watching online or you're here and maybe you're not a believer or you're a visitor, um, you know, we're not asking anything from you at all. In fact, we would ask you not to give anything. We're just glad you've joined us. But in our church here, because it's come up here in the scriptures, let's talk a little bit about it. There's been a long history of generosity to the support of missions. I don't know if many of you, any of you guys know the story of Adoniram Judson. Real briefly, uh, Judson was one of the very first missionaries sent from the United States to the mission field. He went to Burma with his wife. Burma is modern-day Myanmar. And uh, back then, they made a big deal of, of, of theological differences. Uh, while he was on the boat ride to Burma, Judson is reading the Bible. And he reads the Bible and says, you know what, I don't think this teaches infant baptism. And he says, I think I need to get baptized. So on the boat ride, he gets baptized. And because he's an honest person, he has to write back to his supporting churches and say, by the way, I've become a Baptist. And the supporting churches said, by the way, we're not supporting you anymore. I don't know if you know that because they made such a big deal about those types of things. Well, one of the churches, one of many, that that sort of rose to the occasion and to support Judson and his missionary endeavors was First Baptist Church of Haverhill. And we gave, according to our records, $113 in 1814, which I don't know how much that equates to today, but a pretty significant amount of money. Um, We support God's mission. Friends, by the way, I see that in our church. I've always seen a spirit of generosity here at our church, so this is not a rebuke. This is an encouragement. But my, as I understand what the scriptures teach, this is what I do in my own practice, I tithe to my own local church, um, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. The tithe is a tenth of what God has given you to support of the temple, uh, which is today the church. And the church then gives to missions and ministry, and then above and beyond, as the Lord enables As he leads, as you pray, and as you consider, we support missionaries above and beyond. By the way, it gives me a great opportunity to let you know (laughs) that we are going to be starting a Financial Peace University class in mid-October. I've talked to Rich and Pam. I need to nail down the date exactly, but it will probably be Sunday evenings. It's a holistic view of stewardship of understanding getting out of debt and all these different, this whole process of being wise with what God has given you and so that you can also be generous to his mission. As Christians, we support the mission of the gospel going forth to the end, ends of the world. We do so as a spirit of love, of self-sacrifice, of unity, 
and of hope in eternity. And then 30 to 33, we pray, of course. We pray for each other as the global church. And that's where Paul turns his attention. The Apostle Paul, writing in 30 to 33, of course we need to pray. And he makes a big deal about this. He says here, I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no higher appeal than that, right? I appeal to you by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. So if you believe in Jesus and you have the love of the Spirit, I appeal to you to do what? To strive. Very interesting word he uses there. Together with me in your prayers to God. This is serious. <laughs> this is serious. This is not a little tack on, don't forget to pray for me. This is a serious call for his people to pray. One commentator, Doug Moose, says, Paul's request is that the Roman Christians strive together with him in prayers. Paul's use of the metaphor of fighting or wrestling may imply something about the nature of prayer that he is requesting. It involves a wrestling with God, or that it must be especially diligent. Like what Oswald, Oswald Chambers said, prayer is not preparation for the work. It is work. Prayer is not a preparation for the battle. It is the battle. <laughs> we don't pray before we seek to do missions. Prayer is the mission of seeing God's word, God's word go forth to the ends of the earth. I also just mention here, too, that uh, it's helpful to be specific when you pray. Um, you know, it's, it's okay to say, God, I hope the world gets saved. <laughs> uh, God, I pray for world peace. But I think it's better to sort of know how to specifically pray for the needs of our missionaries and the needs of our church family and the needs of our city. And he mentions very specific prayer requests here. Pray that they get delivered from harm. He says specifically, pray that I am delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. There's nothing wrong. In fact, it's an important thing for us to do to pray for the safety of our missionaries. Pray that they aren't persecuted. They aren't, aren't ostracized. They're not kicked out of their country. They're not imprisoned. They're not in any harm. We heard last week that our missionary was serving in a place where terrorism is a regular reality for him. He told me afterwards in the fellowship hall that he and his daughter were once actually having a cup of coffee at a local cafe, felt like they needed to leave. They left. They found out that later on that very day that terrorists attacked that particular coffee shop and there were some who were killed there. Pray, specifically that they are delivered. Not just that, he says here, pray that this gift that I'm bringing to Jerusalem is acceptable. Uh, in other words, that it really does bring the church together, Jew and Gentile, which was a real issue back in the first century. And that when I come to you, Romans, I can come with joy and be refreshed. Friends, that's something so important for missionaries, too, to be able to come and be refreshed. Okay, now I'm excited. Now I'm ready to get back out there. And then, of course, he gives a prayer for the Romans in this benediction, and may the God of peace be with you all. Something powerful happens when we pray. Something happens to us when we pray. When you pray for someone, you become invested in them. You begin to love them in a way perhaps you didn't love them before. If you, if you pick one of the missionaries that we support and you just start praying for them every day, Something will happen in your own heart. You'll begin to love them and be invested in them in a new way. Prayer unites God's people. Yes, you pray on your own, and you should, 
But when we come together as a church, we also pray with one another. And not just us, other churches are praying for the same thing. But far more importantly, it isn't just about what prayer does to us. God answers prayer. God uses it to work out his perfect will. I've said this many times before, but you will never convince me to the day I die that God does not answer prayer because I've seen him do it again and again and again. Prayer isn't just about what it does to us. It's about what God wills to do when his people pray. He moves mountains. He opens new doors of ministry that are closed. And he overthrows spiritual strongholds when his people pray. How should we pray? Some advice. Uh, First, specifically thinking of missions, pray for our missionaries. You know, if you want a list of our missionaries, we can get that for you. Just praying through, pray specifically for our missionaries. Uh, when, When a new missionary comes to speak here, pray for him, pray for them. Pray that the Lord protect them where they're serving and that he uses them, makes them fruitful, and stays, help them to stay encouraged. Pray for the countries where they are serving. Pray that God opens new doors of ministry. He shuts doors certain places. He opens new doors. Pray against spiritual evil and demonic forces. Uh, you know, I believe 100% that's happening here. There are... St- Spiritual forces of evil that work in in here in the United States. But I tell you, when you're on the mission field, it's more tangible. It's more evident that God breaks down some some of these spiritual strongholds. And... This is for you, Kina, for Mitch there. Pray for the Jewish people. <laughs> because, as he says here, all of the spiritual blessings that came to Israel have flowed to us who are Gentiles here. Pray for the Jewish people who are considered, at least Orthodox Israel, an unreached people. Less than 3% of Orthodox Jewish people believe in Jesus. And we're going to have another missionary after next week, Mitch Foreman, who will be speaking about that subject specifically Let's pray for our missionaries. Global missions unites the global church. Friends, we as Christians here, we need to get used to global Christianity. Um, The beauty of various cultures and the diversity of God and his creation. Christianity, they say... Statistically, I have no reason not to, doubt, to believe it, is declining very quickly in the United States. However, there is one factor that sort of keeps the decline from going too fast. Do you know what it is? Immigrants. Because immigrants far more likely are church-going believers. Uh, far more Latin uh, immigrants, Asian immigrants, African immigrants are believers in Jesus and are sort of holding up Christianity before it goes down too fast here in the United States. At the same time, the gospel is flourishing around the world in a way that we've never seen in history. You know, missiologists say the new center of Christianity, the new center of Christianity is no longer Europe or the United States. So if you basically, the way they figure this out is you take the whole population of Christians in the world and you sort of stick it together as if there's no oceans. Where's the center? Where's the numerical, the the population center of Christianity? It is Africa today. No longer Europe or the United States. And friends, 
let's just enjoy the fact that eternity is going to be a great, diverse, multicultural, multilingual. So I'm, I, somehow I'm sure we'll understand one another, but every tongue under heaven place. And we get to enjoy a little slice of heaven today and now. Let me just throw this out um, and we'll close in prayer. I want to thank you guys for hiring. I don't know if you even know you did this, but you guys called the first Asian pastor of First Baptist Church's history. Did you know that? Um, If you looked at the pastors of uh, First Baptist, you'd have a long line of Caucasian males. And then you got me at the end, right? So, um, but, which is an awesome blessing and I love to see what God is doing. And then uh, I just was thinking one of the baptisms I was up there is this uh, the first Asian pastor of this church. And I was baptizing a Puerto Rican sister and a Latvian sister one time, right? And uh, just recently we called the, our first African elder. Um, and I was thinking, you know, and that wasn't why we called. Ambrose was just the right guy, right? But he's, I think, the first African elder in our church's history. And what do you see God doing? He's giving us a little slice of the joy of the diversity of heaven. A little taste of it today. Global missions brings about a global church. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the joy of being part of your mission. That every tongue and tribe and nation under heaven would hear this good news. That there is a God in heaven. The creator of heaven and earth. And he has sent his son to redeem people from all over the world. And that through his blood, he has purchased a people for himself forever. Fill us then, Lord, with the hope of heaven. Fill us, Lord, with a joy in you. Help us, Lord, to enjoy heavens with with heavenly taste buds today, what we will enjoy for eternity in your presence. Spirit is at work among us. Help us to do this together. Help us to support one another. Help us to pray with each other as you unite us together as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.